Welcome, everybody, to Navigating Change, the podcast from Tybal Inc. I'm Pete Wright, and I am here, as ever, with Howard Tybal. And we are here with who? Gail Gregory. Yay! Yay! We're both very excited. And there was much rejoicing. And there was much rejoicing. (laughs) What a warm welcome. Well, Well, we're warm people. (laughs) We've only done like 118 podcasts, and you and I have never done this. This is fantastic. Wait, wait, is that true? It's it's we, not true, Pete. Um, oh, he just shoot. forgot. Okay, I was gonna say I think I think that's wrong, and I know it's wrong. And this so, is yeah. why this is why we I don't love Gail. Everyone in my family is yeah. we love Gail because Gail has institutional memory for me and her and everybody else. <laughs> When I walk around Gail at conferences, as I'm slowly approaching somebody, what's their name? And she can tell me everybody. So security yeah. number, she's got everything down. She's brilliant. For listeners who run into Howard at conferences, uh, related note, Howard doesn't remember you, apparently. <laughs> That's not – all right. Let's start a myth now. <laughs> I, uh, I'm pretty excited about this conversation, uh, maybe for the topic, but mostly because I'm here with both of you together. Uh, we are going to be talking about challenges uh, that we face, the, the the surprising challenges that we at Tybal Inc. are facing in client institutions, and uh, you know how you know what we're go- doing to help institutions face these things. But first, make sure to head over to tybalinc.com to learn more about us and this show. To subscribe for free in iTunes or your podcast application of choice, and join the conversation with us. On Twitter, find us at either at Howard Tybel or uh, LinkedIn. You can find uh, Tybel Link on LinkedIn. We'd love to hear from you. Okay, so here we are. The big challenges. I was I was thinking about this as a as a BuzzFeed style headline: the five unbelievable things that are broken at your institution that you don't know are broken. Five unbelievable things. Yeah. All right. Now, you, have know to that gi- I- you have to give me the first unbelievable three. thing. The first unbelievable thing is that uh, – are you want me to go first, Gal? Go first. Well, let me set the stage here first. Let me say – this is the thing that's important to, to me because I think it's something we've uncovered uh, on this show in the past, which is there are two sort of sets of skills in an institution. One, uh, particularly managing in, in, in terms of instituting change, managing change, and uh, you know financial management and leadership, institutional leadership. There are the things that you the, – the hard skills that you come in knowing how to do, how to, how to manage a budget, how to, you know, project management, those sorts of, of hard skills. And then there are the human skills. And those are the things that I think we uh, are open for discussion. Yes. So, yes. yes. A resounding yes from both of us. Wow. I'm going to put a flange on that. It's going to be, it's going to Doppler back and forth in people's ears. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think uh, Gail and I wouldn't have th- even our work, if we these soft skill issues weren't front and center, no one wants to talk about them because they're hard to talk about because it uncovers this question of, you know, challenges we have working together. So obviously business officers, provosts, presidents come into their jobs with a great deal of background and history and credentials, but very often – and I'd say almost you know, entirely, we all come in with weaknesses in terms of working with others, our ability to communicate and affect change. These are things that we were not taught in school growing up. Some of us have, have some natural ability, but the truth is what makes this work, what makes an institution and a great team uh, thrive is our ability to work in that domain. 
the the fundamental expectation is you need to be a you need to have the financial your your financial expertise down if you're the finance officer, but you're not going to be exceptional if that's what your focus is. And that's it, a, that's an interesting point, Howard. And tell me if I you think this is a lie that great uh, that that really well skilled finance leaders can hide behind hide deficiencies in soft skills behind exceptional hard skills. I think that's true for a lot of us. You know, I think that, you know, think about credentials. If you have a PhD, if you've got uh, a book, you've got all these wonderful things, you can use that to sort of mask the areas where you work. Now, now what's interesting about that too is in some ways our credentials is what allows others to take us seriously. Like, oh, look at the credentials. Right. The listening that other people have of you has a lot to do with their perception of who you are coming in. But once you open your mouth, it doesn't matter what credentials you have. You you demonstrate your genuine interest in them. You demonstrate whether you're a bully. You demonstrate whether you are someone that can be um, taken advantage of. And the nature of organizational work and getting things done has everything to do with that. And, uh, and I think Gail and I have to deal with that and face that every single time we work with an institution. Right. And I, w- I wouldn't say, Pete, that I wouldn't call it a lie because I would never say that. But I think that... <laughs> you know how easy it was for Howard to... to... Oh, no, never. Go ahead. But I think, um, I think that people used to be able to hide mm. behind these quote-unquote hard skills. Yeah. But now the job is so much broader that these yeah. that deficiencies or challenges with uh, with soft skills become readily apparent like as howard said you know as soon as as soon as you open your mouth because what yeah. you're what you're doing is you're not you're not diagnosing and solving the actual problem you're you know you're you're going to oh it, the issue is for example you know the issue might be you might think it's structural oh, if only i had the perfect organizational structure then everything would be perfect. A, there is no perfect organizational structure. And B, uh, you know, the issue may be um, a lack of accountability, a lack of clarity of roles, a lack of communication, all of that kind of soft stuff, but our our inclination to look at a, you know, as, as something with a hard solution, we might think, oh, if I just move the people into the right spot, that will solve all my problems. And you know, the, you know the, the five unbelievable things we encounter. Here's number one. Unless we already did number was that number one? Did we just do a number no, no, one? No, no, you did. You're doing. You're, that was exactly what I wanted you to do. Okay, so what here's number. Give me number one. Perfect is the enemy of the good. Coming into our work, especially you know, and Gail and I have tons of experience working with business officers. Their job is to tie things out so that everything is exact. And when you when you put in the dy- the dynamic of we want to look at strategy. We want to look at moving an initiative forward. There is so much ambiguity in getting groups of people to work together and people that are attached to, we've got to get it perfect or we have to know everything we need to know before we move forward. This is a challenge for us and even in our own work that we have to work in, in just like institutions have to move forward with initiatives. We have to move forward with initiatives knowing that we have incomplete information, but we're still going to make progress. And it's a muscle that I think that Gail and I are always supporting each other in 
in having it be okay that we don't have all the answers. You agree with that? I, right. I feel like that's one of the things that we'll never get there entirely. I mean, as a matter of fact, because it's always a surprise. It's always it's almost annoying that we don't <laughs> have all the information we need so we can make. I mean, sometimes you get annoyed with, about this with me, don't you? I never get annoyed with you. <laughs> so good. You should see when she's on podcast mode, she's brilliant. She's she's say she's going to say all the right things. I'm going to be like the what's the what's the dynamic of the um, of the comedian and the straight person? I'm not sure. Who, we're trying to figure out who's who here. No, no, we're not. Okay, right. uh, especially <laughs> this conversation. I know where this is going to go. So, but do you understand what I'm saying, Gail, about this 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 need that we all have? To know what we need to do before we start doing it. Absolutely, absolutely, and I, I agree with you. It is it is a muscle that we have to flex, and you know. And how many times have we heard from clients or potential clients, um, we can't do this until mm. X, Y, Z. You know, it's like all the ducks need to line up, and and it's just not going to happen. Right. So if there's one thing. They're not ducks. They're cats. They gotta herd them, right? Is that see, wasn't yeah, that good? Yeah, did I pick up on that. You did. They did. They do have to herd their cats, as opposed to ducks lining them up. Yeah. Ooh, isn't that good? That's that really be, good. Might be a book title in there somewhere. Have yeah. you seen? You've seen the commercial. I'm gonna put it in the show notes. The herding cats commercial. You can show it. You can put it in the it's show. It's going note. to be the most brilliant thing you've seen today. I guarantee you. I'm going to give you five beat points if you can tell me who actually said "perfect is the enemy of good" first. Either of you? This you is know, Jermaine. If I, could, if I could Google as fast as you, I would know that too. Hey, do you know what? I actually already knew this because yep. I've had to Google it uh, for a podcast in the past. <laughs> is it Collins? Oh, no. You're going to need to go back. And I mean uh, way drop. back. Wait, wait. Abraham. <sighs> All right. Well, it's Voltaire. Oh, 1770. Okay. And, and he didn't say that exactly. He said something different. Well, he said it in Italian. <laughs> no, that's not what I meant. <laughs> Someone just told me this. It's so funny, and it wasn't you. And they told me that is not the exact quote. It became perfect as the enemy of good. Yeah. But the longer quote associated with that. But I think it's, it's, it's very apropos today. It is apropos today because it's it, it it gets back to this issue that it's a philosophical problem. There's no one right answer. We have to just get out of the thing in which we are stuck in, the paralysis of not having enough information. I well, think that's a really good lesson. You know, what I think about, Pete, is that there are a couple of bad choices you'll make, and there are a number of good choices you can make. And then when you finally decide of the grouping— it's really about getting consensus from your team, which one do we most feel most comfortable and confident is the right way to go. Because you will always have another alternative somebody's going to come up with, and that's going to be equally a good choice. Uh, and that's why it's important to have good leadership. You know, that's what comes back to me you know, when I think about sort of point number two here is the importance of leadership stepping in in some ways to break ties. You know, that's the that's the thing that I see missing in teams where the leader doesn't come in after being very collaborative and say, all right, I heard everybody's point of view. This is what we're doing. I know, you know, you want to do this. You want to do this. I'm the leader. This is what we're doing. And when that's absent from a team, uh, a team can is, is rudderless. Yes, yes. And that's, that, that's a big that's a problem. So, you know, for anybody listening to the show. You are either you are either that person whose job it is to find the, find the right balance of being collaborative, 
uh, and also stepping at the right time, or you're an influencer of somebody who you may need to point this out, which leads us to our third point. Well, right. now, well, now uh, I'm going to f- get back to the second point. Though. It's just this whole there's there's this whole other angle, which is, um, you know, how do you coach those to have those difficult conversations or learn those difficult lessons in the face of a team that just needs direction? Gail's really good at this. <laughs> yes, I know. No, no, she really is because she does that with me. Exactly. I, I'm a recipient of of Gail's support in that area. Well, I think you you hit the nail on the head, Pete, with this ability to have difficult conversations. And and that's another thing that Howard and I have talked about is the challenge that people have with really being direct and having those difficult conversations. Uh, one of the things that I love about higher ed is how nice everybody is. Everybody, I, I love that. I mean, you know, who doesn't want to be around nice people? I say, yes, I want to be around nice people. Um, but that doesn't mean you can't have difficult and direct conversations. Um, and, and, you know, and, and encourage conflict. There's also that feeling that conflict is bad. It's not that we, that's where you can get great ideas and avoid that, that, um, you know, group think. Yes. Group think that leads us into point number three, Howard. All right, so this article came out July 10th, the Wall Street Journal by Rich Carl Gard and Michelle Malone on building a winning political team. But if you take political out, there's a section in here on rec- recruiting for compatibility. And the point here in this article is that we need to recruit for diversity. And that I think our experience, I'm curious what you think of this, Gail, is that when we look at teams and the niceness component and getting people to get along, we don't recruit people that have a diverse point of view, that have a diverse set of backgrounds, because I think it's harder to be around diverse people because then we have to be a little more patient to accommodate all these different points of view. Right. And I think that we we even kind of couch that in we recruit for fit. Mm. You know, we want to make sure that they're going to fit in. Um, That's right. And fitting in is another way of saying – you know, a, a similar thought or a similar personality style. And I think what that article saying, what you're saying, Howard, is that we benefit more from this diverse personality, diversity of thought, because again, we don't fall into the group think. Um, we just, it just leads, has the potential to lead to better decisions, not easier decisions, but potentially better decisions. But, but, that's, we, but that's the thing, Pete, too, is that, you know, Gail mentioned earlier about encouraging conflict. If we if we recruit for fit, I think we're inadvertently saying this is how we can minimize conflict. That's it. You know, I, you right? we mentioned yeah. this this point of debate earlier. I mean, were either of you on your debate teams? No, I was not. You know, there is this concept in debate. It's it's op prep, right? There's somebody on a debate team whose responsibility is to always take the other side, and and that's the person against which you practice your debate. Uh, um, you know, whatever side you are representing, and in this case, having somebody with, that with a difference of opinion forces you to defend to your very best the decision that you stand behind that you want to make and and i think that really is the point of diversity of having somebody on the team or having you know everybody on the team who we don't hire just because we feel like they can truck with complex financial decisions but we we bring on the team because we feel like they can they can uh, lend new and different insight that we have never thought about 
But that seems so hard right now. I mean, when you guys walk into a team meeting and you see a team that that is uh, composed for fit, composed for the ability to hang with complex, com- you know, financial discussions, uh, you know, how do you make diversity of thought part of strategy? Well, it's it's teaching them how to think about. Um focusing on the issues and not the people. The interesting thing about conflict is that I think the reason we have trouble with conflict is because we focus on, you know, if Gail and I are having a disagreement uh, and I make a point about the thing I disagree about, Gail's reaction, if I'm focusing on the issues, is going to say, and I'm saying to Gail, I have an issue with, with with your idea. I don't have an issue with you. Right. And what people fall into is thinking I'm having an issue with you, right? And and that's that's that takes training. I mean, I, I think this stuff goes way back to kindergarten. You know, to when we're young. I I think we so underestimate how much we enter these teams as adults and bring a, and in some cases a sense of immaturity. You know. And and we're all growing, but I think we 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 want to pretend somehow that we are that this stuff in the background is 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 sort of gone that we can sort of take our the way we approach our personal lives and compartmentalize it and come to work and we're this different person when in fact and that's why people do Myers Briggs because it, it's it's sort of an artificial way but sometimes meaningful to understand. What's different about me from you, right? How am I different? Right. I mean, right. the reason Gal and I get along so well for so many, in, in, but is we respect each other. See, I mean, here's what's interesting. You know, I, I think that at the core of having healthy conflict is respect, right? When Gail disagrees with me or I disagree with her, we have the capacity to listen to each other because I know Gail, Gail respects me and I know that uh, Gail respects me. I know that I respect Gail, or she knows I respect her. And now I'm speaking for her right now. You should see right now. She's like, she's like, that is so not true. You cannot I'm- say that. <laughs> Don't even go there, Pete. <laughs> <laughs> this is the best radio drama I have ever been a part of. <laughs> but it's also, um, uh, we do respect each other. But we, and it's also about trust. I think that the trust. the first thing is about trust because yes. trust says. When we're having a disagreement, it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about the issue. But I also wanted to go back to what you were saying in terms of the things we bring with us from our personal life or from our childhood. There's also that, and I know I bring this, is this uh, this need to accomplish things, this need Mm. to cross things off our list. (laughs) So if we're trying to make a decision, we're we're trying – many times what we're trying to do is this is taking too long. Mm. And it's like the point is to to get to make a decision, not necessarily to make a good decision, because we've made a decision. Then we can cross off our list and we can move forward with our project plan as opposed to taking the time necessary. To say, is this even the right question? Never mind the right decision. Is it the right question? Yeah. And I think that flies in the face of a lot of what we've been taught, which is about you have to keep moving forward. The pace is so quick. We have to accomplish things. Mm. And, and then you bring multiple people to the equation. See, it's one thing for Gail oh, wait, and I wait, to wait. work together. And, and there's and – there's, remember the kid in the classroom who always asks the questions? Oh, yes. <laughs> and 
Didn't everybody hate that kid? Yeah, like, because he always asked the questions like before the end of the day or recess or lunch. Now I know why people didn't like me when I grew up. <laughs> I wasn't that kid. I wasn't that kid. I wasn't the apple kid either. But, you know, I'm the apple. I don't even know what I was. I mean, there was probably these different categories of kids. Let's, this will get too personal if we try and go there, right? We don't want to go there. <laughs> I, I think what, what Gail is bringing up right now is it, it goes back to your first point, Howard, that perfect is the enemy of good, you know, as uh, often attributed to Voltaire. Uh, it, it, it becomes a decision is the en- or good is the enemy of decision. Right. Um, yes. We we don't want to minimize the, our, our you know, drive to make smart decisions uh, by just making any decision. So here's the fifth one. Because I'm assuming we did four, and they're sort of buried in there somewhere, right? Oh, Around definitely. The- definitely. We'll be able to number that in post. When I think about the work that uh, our team gets engaged in, more and more in terms of this question around the business model of higher education is getting senior teams to be better strategic thinkers and being willing to step back from the mechanics of their work. Uh, there is, and and this is a discipline that their leaders, in this case, either the chancellor or the president, needs to set a very clear expectation. Uh, your job is not to do; your job is to oversee, and that is a hard thing. One, if you don't have the right people below you to do the work. Also, if you're not a good delegator, if you like doing it yourself and you don't like giving things away, or if you don't like to mentor, this can be hard. But I'll tell you, being a strategic thinker and getting a a team to think, to have like an hour strategic conversation is, is, is I think the work that needs to be happening more and more and that we're more and more involved in. I think this is the one thing that we're going to be doing a lot more work on this year is helping senior teams step back and really come up with more concise uh, living uh, documents that represent the strategic direction they want to go. Uh, and I think that to the extent, and I'm work, we're working with school right now, that's going to come up with a strategic plan that they want to execute starting now. They want to start working on it now, and they're going to have this thing live in February. Most schools would say that's not enough time. I'm telling you that because of the nature of this leader's focus, they're going to be able to move a lot quicker because they're not saying we need a full year to come up with a strategy. Uh, it doesn't take a full year to come up with a strategy. Uh, the, the year concept is very much about we don't want to iterate. This guy knows this is about iterating, putting something on the table, and then running with it. And that's an area where Gail and I have worked a lot in the last couple of years is helping teams going, all right, Come up with three strategic themes, and what are the goals associated with those? Uh, and that's that I think is going to be uh, what teams at the senior level need to be spending more time uh, as a group, stepping back from the day-to-day operations or their update meetings, and having those kinds of dialogues. Uh, Go ahead. Yeah, there, yeah, there's an interesting, I, I just an observation, you know, if there's any refrain that you and I have talked about over the years of doing this show, Howard, it's this, this idea of becoming exceptional, of speaking truth to power. And I think if there's any, uh, you know, observation I have in these collected uh, five uh, insights, uh, it's that as a leader, 
you also almost have to condition yourself to be the kind of leader comfortable having the truth spoken to you. And that's the, the sort of the, the corollary skill. And it's hard to do. Uh, it, it's hard to open yourself up to listen. It's hard to open yourself up and hear what is going on around you. But it sounds like, you know, when you're talking about this example of somebody who's going to try and achieve something by February, uh, we're just kicking off the school year, but somebody who has the has come to terms with the fact that, you know, the operational uh, operations happen every day and we only impose seasons uh, and, you know, sort of arbitrarily um, is that's a pretty powerful statement of a leader who sounds like is able to hear the truth that is being spoken to them. And it's an urgency thing for him, you know, without even talking about details. And and this is where some schools are in a bit of denial because if, if they don't have a they don't have a problem, uh, then there's no reason to apply that kind of urgency. What I think more and more leaders have to do is if they have to if, if they don't have a clear and present danger, they need to come up with an artificial urgency for why their team needs to wake up and start saying, all right. How are we going to do this? Let's step back and have, as we said before, but we didn't talk about it, courage. I, you know, I said courage before, and Gail nodded her head. And I think that that's at the heart of it. The willingness to, to – that's what you said with making tough decisions is having courage. Having, having tough conversations and, and having, as you said, Pete, um, being able to listen to others – having difficult conversations with you. And that takes a lot of courage. It does take courage to listen. I know that in, you know, in running my business, one of the things I can fall into is sometimes I can get so far down the path. I don't want to listen. I don't want to hear someone tell me why my idea is bad. You know, it's like, wait a second, I'm already three quarters of the way there. Do I really have to step back? And it, it takes a willingness to, to trust that the people around you uh, may be on to something that you're not aware of. You got to have this level of openness, and it's challenging. If, if you're tr- if you're running a group, it's challenging to step back if you feel like you're if you're three quarters of the way there already. And uh, but but it, you know what's wonderful for me is having a team of people when we come together. You know, including you, Pete, is uh, be willing to. In some ways, to even to me, speak truth to power. Because in some ways, because, because I'm running the business, there's a power element to it. But I, I feel like we have enough trust that we're all willing to speak up. And it's sometimes hard to hear truth. Yes, it is. And and the truth of the matter in this case is we are we are coming to a close. Uh, and no, I, yeah, it is it is a sad uh, truth. But I uh, love this conversation, and I love our five things, which I'm sure are buried in here, and um, and and I think it really cements the fact that uh, you know where leaders' skills, um, you know, can and should be constantly developed. We know you've got the tech the technical stuff down. Now, how do you deal with the human stuff? Very powerful uh, conversation. That's yeah, that's uh, Gail Gregory. We're going to do this again, right? Yeah, I hope yeah. so. Yeah, Absolutely. we so, have to. It's up to Gail. She's she's driving this. Yeah, Gail's it's driving everything. Now. Yeah. Uh, Gail, thank you so much for uh, joining us uh, here again. Thank you, Pete. You're thank very, you. Hal. You're very brave. <laughs> it's, it's all about courage. It is all about courage. Howard Teibel, as always, uh, thank you, sir, for time and wisdom. You're welcome. Welcome to the new year. It's September 1st. I'm still like, getting over the fog of summer. Oh, my God. Summer's over. Is it really over? I'll be getting over it until this time next year. 
I, I'm never quite over it. Uh, thank you, everybody, for taking the time to download and listen to the show. We appreciate you and your attention. And we will see you next week on Navigating Change, the podcast from Tybal Inc. Thank you.